I think you ought to know. I'm feeling very depressed. I once uh, dropped an entire plate of uh, chips with red sauce on that I'd got from the chip shop. Yes, come join me on the high road. It was on display in the bottom of a locked filing cabinet, stuck in a disused lavatory with a sign on the door saying, Beware of the Leopard. Welcome to Beware of the Leopard, a podcast no better than a pair of fetid dingo's kidneys. I'm Mark Steadman, and I've just broken my thumb on my other thumb. I'm John Bands, and it gives me a headache just trying to think down to your level. And I'm Danny, the worst dressed sentient being in the known universe. We're now deeply ensconced in the seas, so it's time, time, you see, time to get political. The Campaign for Real Time is an organisation to which Slarty Bartfast lends his abilities. It was set up to try and avoid the kind of mucking about in space-time that means the past is like a foreign country and that they do things exactly the same there. Danny, what causes have uh, you put your weight behind? Oh, feminism. Love feminism. Massive <laughs> feminist, me. Oh, I love it. They're, oh, women's lib. Yeah, I can't, I can't live them enough, me. You've got uh, you've got subscriptions to spare rib, haven't you, Dan? I I really have, and and chicken chow, mate. I've got it all, mate. I'm so women's lib. It's untrue. Um, I mean, we all try and be fairly conscious, barring the odd fuck up. But um, I'm not really a joiner. Um, so anytime there's a conscious effort to do anything, I'm a bit mm, no, nah. not for me. There was that one time that um, remember when I. Got my chest waxed. Yes, I do. Oh, what was that for? I have no idea. It was for charity, though. It was the char- ostensibly, yeah. I was there. I, in fact, I, I compared the event. What the heck was that for? It was, um, it was a festival. It was a Twitter festival. Um, so yeah, I was at the Twitter festival. I'll tell the story for the listeners. Who, Please. Who, uh, I was at the Twitter festival, and they were supposed to be getting local radio celebrity Ed James, Ed James, Ed James in the morning. Uh, to um, he was getting his chest wax for charity live as one of the events at the event itself at the event itself um in this pub and i i was at the twist floor and uh, a lot of my friends were there and had a couple uh, a couple more and I'm, i get really nervous at those events so i had a few more just to make sure that i wasn't um and it turns out that ed james has dropped out and i don't know was it you john that suggested my name um it sounds like the sort of thing i would do and uh, I, I was like, all right, because I was in my cups. I was like, right, if you can get 200 quid in a bucket of donations, I will do it. And I think you raised like 260 in the end. So me, drunk as the proverbial skunk, was laid on a um, really uncomfortable. I remember it being uncomfortable, but this will be weird when I explain the next bit. Um, really uncomfortable, uh, you know, one of them raised bed things, you know, that you have your chest waxed on. And it was all proper stuff and that. And there was this guy, I think it was a guy. I was really that drunk. And he starts putting the thing on and everyone's around. Everyone could see my chest and my boobies and whatnot. And um, he puts the first strip on and rips it off. And I didn't really feel anything. And I remember thinking in that like millisecond, I remember thinking, well, people say paid to see you in pain. See, so best be in pain. So I let out the most god-awful, and in fact, I was like, that's not actually that bad. Like, the seat's more uncomfortable than that. So, so yeah, it, it went on, like, and he kept on, 
because I think he was advertising his business. <laughs> so every time I did that, he kind of gave, gave me a look and the old comic going, really, it's not that painful, mate. It's really, it's really not. And I was like, oh, no. It is. And I'm, I'm thinking, it's really not that painful. But, you know, you've got to give the people what they want. Yeah, so I ended up pantomiming, screaming in pain while this guy waxed <laughs> my chest. And from that to this... The Cathedral of Chalism is literally mentioned in the same breath as the campaign for real time. The Great Cathedral was pulled down in order to build a new ion refinery, but the uh, construction of the refinery had taken so long and had had to extend so far back into the past in order to allow ion production to start on time that the Cathedral of Chalism has now never been built in the first place. John, have you ever lost something precious? I've lost many things. None of them particularly precious. I've I've lost my... Dignity? I've, my dignity could never have been precious to me considering how cheaply I lost it. <laughs> I've, lost, uh, I've lost buildings that I <laughs> thought were lovely. I've lost uh, a classic iPad, which I now know is worth some money and must be somewhere in the house. Um, <laughs> there's, there's a general sense of loss for better times for um a society in which we uh a society in which things like this book were being produced rather than the sort of uh postmodern metatextual things of people talking about this book on a sort of uh, <laughs> internet radio station <laughs> actually it's not the lost i've got a problem with it's the precious mm. um it's um because i genuinely can't think of that many things that are that precious to me. I mean, I've got some precious things that, like, books that I've lent Danny, and I'm assuming I've not lost them, but... Uh, oh, I have. Who knows? Um, <laughs> a, a, a certain, a certain um, set of uh, audio recordings of The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, oddly enough. <laughs> My ex-girlfriend stole them. Um, a, a jeweller friend of mine made me a ring that was my tag, because I used to be a graffito taggist. Uh, um, and she got my, uh, she got hold of my tag, and she made me a ring in silver that was my tag wrapped around my finger. It was gorgeous. It was it, That was one of my most cherished items, and I did lose that. And I like that is something that I've only just remembered, and it kicks me in the stomach every time I'm reminded of it. Luckily enough, my memory is that bad that I'm not reminded of it often. <laughs> oh, that sucks. I, I lost um, a signed plectrum. Um, I mean, it was they they they're sort of uh, as common as signed uh, Terry Pratchett books. Um, you know, it was it's sort of a, a whatever, not photocopied, but you know, screen printed or whatever. But it was a it was a signed plectrum, and um, it was tossed out from a gig uh, by my uh, musical hero. And um, a, a couple of years later, I got my wallet out to show someone oh this 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 thing i'm really proud of that i managed to snatch out of the air and uh and and i've carried with me and and it wasn't there and uh, i have no idea at what point it it disappeared from my uh, from my wallet each week we like to pick an audiobook to recommend that we think you might enjoy they come from a place called Audible, which has a number of books nearing the hundreds of thousands mark. If you're ever stuck for a gift, you honestly can't go wrong with an Audible subscription, and uh, you might find more info, and you will definitely get a 30-day free trial of the service by going to audibletrial.com slash leopard. Uh, so to this week's book then, it's P.G. Woodhouse's Code of the Worcesters, read by Martin Jarvis. It's vintage English humour at its finest, and you can pick it up for free while uh, while you try out the Audible service at audibletrial.com slash leopard. And I believe, John, as our book correspondent, you've uh, 
you, you had some thoughts on that, or, or just a, a bit of information about uh, Wynne Woodhouse's works. Um, you can't whack a bit of Woodhouse. He's the, or Plum, as they called him, uh, was, he's the master of a, a sort of comic adjective, um, or a sort of comic simile. All of the, all, particularly all the Jews and Worcester books dance around these sort of, I don't know, he's a, as vain as a tennis racket doing something and things like that. And if you want an easy, uh, intro, uh, to Woodhouse, um, Get him one as an audio book. I can see that would really work. Audibletrial.com slash leopard. And uh, as one book closes, another opens. The Celestial Home Care Omnibus is a book deemed not to be as popular as The Guide. We don't really know anything about the book, but it sounds like one of those you get given on Christmas and put on a high shelf in the kitchen. Danny, have you ever received a book like that? Oh, oh, just a few, just a few. <laughs> I'm one of those people that are deemed. Oh, you're really hard to buy for. You're really, oh, you, you are really, you are really hard to buy for. Uh, which means that I'm, I'm not harder to buy for than anyone else. I'm just really bad at hiding when somebody gets me something that's shit. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I and because I almost exclusively buy people books because I like shopping for books. Um, I tend to get a lot of books back. So, um, yeah, I, I do get a lot of those uh, jokey, gifty, um, oh, Viz. I don't mind Viz. I don't, yeah. uh, Viz, Viz is wonderful. Uh, Viz is a score if I, if I get a Viz, but. Oh, wow. Okay. It, oh, we're going sub Viz. Oh, you get all them um, miscellanies and, and um, compendiums and 150 quotes that you've read before in another book called 152 Quotes. Shakespeare's Insults. That's oh, one. I've, I've yeah. had that a couple of times, actually. And because of the fact that, of course, Shakespeare, unlike P.G. Woodhouse, is not funny. <laughs> so. um, yeah, so it's it's one of them. It's like, oh, this would be really nice in a car boot sale. Bye. Uh, I think we ought to declare an interest, Dan, as the book we wrote shares a sort of publisher with some of these <laughs> sorts of books. Um, I thought we but, weren't uh, going to mention that job, but no, okay. Well, <laughs> But but I actually I'm going to take issue with the idea that um, the Celestial Home Care Omnibus is one of those books. I think it's much closer to to books that are called things like How to Do Everything or the Daily Mirror Book of uh, DIY. And these sorts of books were how we used to learn about how to do things like change washers in taps and stuff before the internet and before YouTube. And everybody would mm. have one. Um, and the... Uh, how to do everything is is definitely one that I've owned. Um, but I'm just going to make a plea for these sorts of books to come back because if something goes wrong with your washing machine, having to sit through a man from a washing machine repair shop somewhere in Essex going, I, I can't do the accent, I'm Dave from Auto Washing Machines Direct, and today I'm going to show you how to change a washer on a, Personal Indesit four two such and such blah 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 blah. Get on with it. Yes, get on no, with uh, it. Yeah. We know what and it is. And then you've got to sift sit through the title sequence. Uh, if you if you do anything that's technical, um, there's usually you you've got an opening sequence and then a big title sequence. And then uh, certainly if it's uh, American and it's it's anything to do with technology, they will tell you to go ahead and so <laughs> many goddamn times. We're just going to go ahead and uh, install this, and then once you're done, we'll go ahead and click over here. So once you've clicked over here, you can just go ahead and, uh, and I'm not exaggerating, uh, I've counted them uh, sometimes before, and you'll watch one five-minute video and there's 14 go-ahead-ands. And it's not that you can just watch one, because you've got to watch two or three in case the first couple that you watched were a couple of prats. 
and you're going to plug yourself in or, or yep. stab yourself in the groin or something. Or you watch the entire video and and actually find out that it doesn't contain the information that it purports to contain. Damn right, these things are awful. Ban them. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's a lot better than somebody that thinks that they're going to become an internet celebrity trying to do it. Just write it, write it down in a series of steps, please. If possible, print it into a large book with lots of other steps. Have it rigorously edited and sold from a cut-out coupon at the back of a national daily newspaper. Is that too much to ask? And now, let's exercise some free will. I don't want to get into a whole debate about canon, so for my purposes, I choose to believe that the Hitchhiker's Universe also includes the Starship Titanic video game, partly as the ship is mentioned in the book, but also there are some shared jokes between the two. Towards the beginning of the game, you have a conversation with the robot checking clerk, or Clark, who gives you an uh, interminable list of options for your room, view, bed, breakfast, newspaper, political stance of newspaper, and so on. It all uh, stemmed from an encounter that Douglas had had in an American burger bar. So, Mr. Bounds, what do you think is one of the most significant choices made by Arthur or his friends that could have swung the story in a completely different direction? I'll get to that in a minute. Well, I was just going to say that <laughs> I've not played the uh, Star Trek Titanic computer game. But I have read the novel, novelization by uh, Terry, Terry Jones, Jones, which was apparently written in three weeks in the nude. Uh, but it's, <laughs> it's well worth reading. And when we get to S, I hope we can have a big old discussion about it. Oh. Oh, lovely. I was, um, and you cannot, you sure read it as well. But uh, so, but so, yeah, the Starship Titanic is definitely canon as far as far as I'm saying. But so, in terms of significant choices made by Arthur and his friends, I'm going to come out in a slight weird way that very few significant choices are ever made by any of the characters in this book. Um. They are a bunch of feckless, uh, <laughs> ignorant, uh, self-centred, uh, nobody's will be first up against the war when the revolution comes. <laughs> but essentially, who made five-part trilogy of novels, a radio series, a movie, and a TV programme, just happened to. They're just there. Yeah. Ah. Ah. I disagree with that. Zaphod is incredibly driven. He's uh, locked half of his brain away um, to um, to do some secret mission that he's trying to find out what it actually is. He's um, and his actual mission is to um, seek out Magrathea, and then and then his mission is to seek out the guy that actually controls the universe. But he is literally the only one that has an agenda for most of the books. That's interesting because although. You're right about all that. Because of the way his brain's been locked off and stuff, the character we know, those is you know, it, all of those things happen. Even his choices happen as a result of the previous character, which he kind of isn't really anymore, which we only see in sort of flashback and explanation and stuff. So in the book, the things are happening to him because of his previous self. That is interesting, especially because like, like that reference to um, his previous character as a different person. Because when you read about who he was before, like especially in the um, – there's a short story called Young Zaphod Plays It Safe. I've read that, yeah. He's actually really quite moral in that. And he's actually uh, like actually more um, uh, aware of his surroundings and actually wanting to make a difference in the world or, or has a presence in his decision-making that has some sort of moral effect. Um and he kind of locks that part of his brain off so he can become president because it's not presidential. Maybe that's happened to some other people we know. Wah, I have no idea, no idea who you're talking about. <laughs> um, yeah, so, uh, yeah, 
Um, but I agree, absolutely agree that every, everybody is kind of buffeted on the, the, the tides of what I would argue uh, probability. So we'll probably talk about this in the Heart of Gold uh, when, we, when we talk about the Heart of Gold later. But my, my, my thesis is that the only decision ever made is the pushing of the big red improbability drive button. And after that, they're all controlled by the effects of that thing. Okay, okay. I, can, I think it's possible to trump that. I think it's possible to completely say that that's true, but trump it with the idea that the Guide Mark II, uh, which is probably not the right time to go into an in-depth discussion of, but it philosophically controls things backwards in time, well, anyway in time, in order to get what it uh, what it to does. To reverse engineer the outcome it needs, yeah. Or yes. its, its owner needs, yeah. So it's a, there's a very interesting sort of philosophical point there about um, no one having free will at all, ever. Also, I like I like that um, Arthur does not um, ever really drive the narrative by his decisions because it's a very – my other thesis is that um, Douglas Adams is trying to, ex- uh, trying to explain or at least present Englishness in a way that's post-Empire – and it's still coming to terms with itself at like not being the most important thing in the universe. So um, I like the idea that one one facet of this Englishness is that it just makes do with everything that's happening. Oh, I'm in pre- I'm in prehistoric times. I'm oh, let's, let's make a bag and uh, oh, I'm on a spaceship. Okay, what do I do now? Um, you know what I mean? Like it, it's a very it's a very English trait or, or thing that was something that we'd be very proud of ourselves if we, did, we were to describe it in any other way. You're right, Dan. It's the sort of thing that um, England uh, or the English will pride ourselves upon without really knowing whether it's true. So witness the uh, absolute plethora and uh, the sort of viral takeover, like a invasive species like Japanese knotwort of the keep carb and carry on thing. The um the fact that during during the war that poster was designed and then not used because it wouldn't work. Um so it's a, it's amazing that um the difference between when genuinely people did have that sort of stoic uh get on with it sort of thing and now we really, really don't, but we tell ourselves we do and that's part of our national identity is fascinating. Absolutely. The results of our hypothetical trillion poll are in. And in last place, with no votes, it's Olivia Coleman. With 8%, it's Kate Blanchett. With 15%, Georgia Moffat. And with 23%, it's Karen Gillan. But with a whopping 54% of the vote, it's Danny's pick, the peerless yes! Tamsin Gregg. Yes! Uh, yes, so uh, this week it falls upon us to cast the final sentient member of the Heart of Gold, Marvin. And gents, uh, if we could do so without picking actors because they uh, can quote-unquote play pretty, that'd be great. Any thoughts? I was thinking deep voice, um, and I was thinking accents. It'd be nice if it was a different accent from the all-English cast apart from Zaphod. Um, so I was thinking about Americans. I was thinking James Spader. Okay. He's got a deep voice and he's also got form for playing a robot. Yes, he has. But that robot was quite quippy. Yeah, but I, I can imagine he can do quite sullen. Uh, and I, and uh, what they kept on going in my mind was that always um, Marvin was portrayed as quite sullen and put upon. But also... Um, there's quite a lot of lines that makes reference to the fact that he's intellectually superior. 
But in all the representations of him on on radio and um, TV, he's always kind of just offhand mentioned that he's superior and then still been put upon. So I thought it'd be quite nice if Marvin was a little bit aloof and a little bit, a little bit like um, superior, like even though he was aware of his status of a, of a like as a robot as a servant. Um, so yeah, so I was thinking James Spader could do that aloofness quite well. Um, if we just wanted, if we just wanted deep voice and form for playing a robot, Van Diesel also has played a robot. And has quite a deep voice. So does so does Vin Diesel, but yeah, <laughs> he also um also played a tree creature, didn't he? Oh, p- p- trees. Uh, Peter Duncan. Who's Peter Duncan? He used to be in Blue Peter, and he was all, he was one of the uh, he had one line in Flash Gordon, which was "I have come of age, Green Father." It's funny you should mention Flash Gordon because I was genuinely just thinking that when you said that, um, uh, even even before you said Flash Gordon, I was thinking I'd quite like Brian Blessed. Blessed would do a job. I think you ought to know. I'm feeling very depressed. This is a, a nice solid bit of uh, safe fans, safe fans. Peter Serafanovich. Yep, yep. He, he does a lot of voiceover stuff. Yep. Nice, deep, resonant voice. Yep. Got the comic timing. Got the uh, relationship with Simon Pegg. Yeah. Um, fantasy casting. If I got to work with anyone, it would be Donald Sutherland. Oh wow! Ooh. So have like a nice, wise old man that's quite put upon mm. and superior. That mm-hmm. that'd be fun. And you can imagine Donald Sutherland doing that. Plus, if you if you see him do any comedy line, he's got the timing. Mm-hmm. And my last one, punt in the dark. Um, wouldn't it be nice for there be a reason why they ostracise Marvin apart from his personality? Okay. And I was thinking an accent, like a really annoying accent. And if this is going to play internationally, we have to have an international accent rather than a regional, um, a regional accent like Yorkshire or Liverpool or something else that would be annoying after a while. So how about an Aussie accent, Chris Hemsworth? I was going to say an Australian. Um, weirdly, circling round to what you were saying earlier with another Greek slash peg connection, how about Dylan Moran? Oh, I like that. I actually thought about mine and you just toss one off the top of your head and it, you know, it's really good. I'm a pro. So we've got two possible ways or maybe maybe more but two main possible ways that the robot character can go we've got the uh sort of butler character i'm thinking of any sort of service robot sort of thing the butler character in scent i would be making if he wasn't probably dead i would be going for uh kenneth moore uh trying to reprise almost his role from the admiral crichton sort of uh swiss family uh robinson with a butler uh film from the uh well i think from the Late fifties, Jay and Barry story actually. So that's one of them. Uh, or number two, all um, sort of digital assistants. Can we think of a digital assistant? You've got Siri and Alexa and Cortana and all that. Sorry, everyone, that's just set off all your devices. <laughs> I've just noticed that Siri and Cortina and Alexa, <laughs> phone mom, has they they basically invented the. The doors from the Heart of Gold, you know, just a little bit of sass and personality to make them to make them likable, genuine people personalities. Yeah, you you know the ones. It's like, uh, <laughs> would you like me to sing you a song? You're all going to die. That, you know that. It's my pleasure to open for you. No, you're absolutely right yeah, because they've um, actually invented. <laughs> I was having a chat with because uh, I was I was um, bored in my kitchen yesterday because I was waiting for some stuff to install. So I was just chatting away to my Alexa, uh, to my Amazon voice assistant, and um, 
I, you know, I was asking various questions and I said, um, uh, lady in a tube, open the pod bay doors. And she replied with, I can't, I'm sorry, I can't do that, Dave, because I'm not Hal and we're not in space. <laughs> Which I thought was quite cute. But the natural extension of that is the, the personality and that personality would be the personality on the ship of the hard gold. That, that is the natural extension of it. And he is absolutely spot on and so prescient for being able to foresee that. Back to the books then, and another abstract concept. The history of every major galactic civilization has passed through three distinct and recognisable phases, those of survival, inquiry and sophistication, otherwise known as the how, why and where phases. For instance, the first is characterised by the question, how can we eat? The second by the question, why do we eat? And the third by the question, where should we have lunch? John, as a man of learning, do you appreciate Adam's take on the history of civilization and uh, his tricky follow-up on war? So I've always thought that the civilization sort of uh, troika of questions was um, was pretty good because if you think about it, it's a fair distillation of a sort of uh, group hierarchy of needs. So, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, um, we start with the sort of uh, physiological needs and safety, and that is... How? How should we get nourishment and not get killed while we're doing it? And then there's the uh, sort of search for uh, for love, essentially, and belonging. And that's the, the why do we eat, in this sense, the why do we eat together? And then the next one up is esteem, which is uh, the where. And then you, you eat at a particular place, not because you like the food in most cases, I don't think based on what uh, people's photographs on the internet, but because they want esteem for where they're going. It's a part of this sort of uh, journey of uh, these needs. But I don't think, I think we're missing the tip of the triangle if Maslow's in anywhere right. And we don't have a, a fourth question, which is about self-actualization. And that is, I don't know, do I actually get any likes from my Instagram photo <laughs> of the uh, pictures at the restaurant at the end of the universe. I mean, a lot of people say Maslow's talking a load of old bollocks, but... It would be it would be something like, how does this food define me? Yeah, and that's it. There, there, is, but there, there is actually maybe there's a little bit in there because the restaurant at the end of the universe is a lot about defining oneself, isn't yeah, it? Absolutely. It's not, it's, it's about decadence. It's about being the type of person that will watch the end of the world. And being the type of person that will eat a sentient cow. I'm really impressed with that because I've always thought that um, the... Um, the, the, this description of the who, what, where, where phases is actually one of these really incredibly clever bits that uh, Doug Adams like passes off as just a clever joke. But that's actually it, it's a really, really intelligent, smart way of describing um, describing a greater truth. Yeah, so I've always loved that, and, and you uh, the Maslow and Need stuff that that's really great as well. Like I'm very impressed, John. It is interesting. So, um, Mark, run us through the uh, the, the warfare follow up, please. Uh, sure. So uh, it's uh, similarly similarly subdivided. Retribution. I am going to kill you because you killed my brother. Anticipation. I'm going to kill you because I killed your brother. And diplomacy. I'm going to kill my brother and then kill you on the pretext that your brother did it. I am still available for audiobook work. <laughs> so that is. So that's. I think that's really interesting as well. And that's kind of. That's actually a sort of a brief, um, almost summation of the development of the sort of Machiavellian, uh, you know, divide and rules uh, theory of war type stuff. But I'm going to suggest that in this one, we definitely do need one. And that's the sort of... Um, are you ever concerned of necropolitics? Not lately. So necropolitics is essentially the idea that uh, 
the art of the sort of politically possible and the different political theories are can be defined as essentially who's dispensable, who can we kill? Oh wow! Um, so it's literally so, uh, exactly as as you would imagine the word would mean. Yeah, 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 yeah completely. So um, in the sense of uh, neoliberalism, uh, for the want of oil, um, thousands of uh, Iraqis and Afghanis are, and. Uh, many other people are completely dispensable. The, it will not be politically unacceptable for those people to die or kill them and stuff. So, there's, um, yeah, we need. I think we need a fourth uh, stage on this. Um, so it's basically turning around and going, "Whose brother? Whose brother? Don't we give a shit about?" Yeah. What would give us the most Instagram likes? I love you, John. I love you so much. I love your brain. I want to lick it. That is very clever and smart, and I like it. I've just, I just nick it out of books, honestly. Just not in this instance. <laughs> this one. Um, I always um, kind of related the, the the first three phases, the how, why, and where phases, to um, the types of brain that we have. Okay. Okay. So we have essentially three brains, um, and they're not. We didn't evolve different, like one brain that that developed. We just grew another brain on top whenever we felt the need for it. So we've got the reptilian brain, the medulla oblongata, or however you pronounce that when you haven't had six beers. Um, and that's the reptile brain that takes care of like your just your basic like survival instincts, like fight or flight, um, eat, breathe. Like this is stuff that happens automatically so you can live. And then on top of that, you've got. Um, your mammalian brain which is kind of like care for your young like feel love for each other procreate like pass on your genes and then we've got this huge amount of gray matter on top that starts uh finding the reason why things happen or philosophizes about stuff or finds connections that doesn't necessarily um it stores a lot of information and, and makes connections um all over the shop um and and that is our consciousness, and that's that, that's where our consciousness comes from, and that's where we like our reasoning and all the other like really cool stuff that uh, makes us so happy being human. Um, so yeah, I've always thought it was really clever how those three phases actually map onto um, the uh, three basic slabs of meat that we have in our head that controls how we think about things. Um, right. Okay. Time to get obscure. We've covered a lot of Life, the Universe, and everything in today's episode, and we're not stopping now. Judiciary Pag, who we'll come to later, has a groupie who hails from the cloud worlds of Yaga. She had skin like lemon silk and was very interested in legal bodies. I quite like the idea of living on a, uh, a cloud world, but I feel like I'd be constantly motion sick. Have you given this any thought, Danny? Well... Obviously, being um, a massive feminist, I am torn on the concept of groupies. I mean, women have their own agency and can sleep with who they like. But, uh, you know, someone in a position of power uh, exploiting them is a very uncomfortable thought for me. So, obviously, I, I skimmed across that and thought about living on clouds. Oh, how's, uh, sorry. So, so you've, gone, you've d decided to go from living on a cloud to uh, living on a high road? <laughs> yes. Yes, come join me on the high road. I mean, obviously, I'm going to get pillared whatever I say on this podcast. So uh, I thought I might as well try and be a good boy. Um, no, um, living on a cloud. Uh, I'm not sure about heights. I wouldn't say I'm scared of heights, but I have a healthy respect of heights. I have this sort of respect for heights that you get when you've got a mum that's terrified of heights. And whenever you stand on a step that's like three up, she goes, Don't you! Don't! Don't! Come on! 
Yum, bam. Is your mum Terry Jones? Is what's that be Terry <laughs> Jones's? That's pretty Terry Jones, yeah. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm not even ashamed of that. So, Live Down a Cloud sounds absolutely fantastic until you drop something. <laughs> I once uh, dropped an entire plate of uh, chips with red sauce on that I got from the chip shop. And it wasn't so much drop as a sort of arm spasm, and they flipped up the wall and like left a sort of red sauce ketchup-y stain that could have said, I will kill again, <laughs> and all the chips were behind the stereo. But that moment, the moment in between when you drop something and it hits the floor now, as someone who's uh, played uh, football a fair amount, I can stick my foot in the way and I can, if the thing isn't too hard, I can normally, if I'm react quick enough, sort of control the dropping object and bring it down to a, a fairly uh, safe thing. But you, you don't mark this well, fellas. Do not try this with hot cups of tea or knives. <laughs> <laughs> well, that just about does it for this week's episode. Uh, until next time. Where can people find you, Danny? Oh, I don't know, lurking in bushes, watching people walk past just for the thrill of it, you know? Um, I'm on I'm on Twitter if you want. I'm on, at Probably Drunk, or you can go to uh, gigamylife.co.uk and there's a zine there that I produced that is for charity for the people that did the Manchester... Uh, not did the Manchester Commons. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't tell me it was for that. It's raising money for the victims and um, it goes towards a music charity in Manchester and it's all very nice and lovely. And John should be... Uh, receiving his copy soon. Oh, I've got to say, it's absolutely gorgeous. Thank you very much, boss. Um, so, yeah, go there. And uh, John? It's always best to follow me on Twitter at Abanda or at Two Ronnie's News or at John Bounds or at Paradise Circus or at... Uh, just, 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 just uh, start with one and build up slowly. And that just about wraps it up for the leopard. You can tweet or email us your thoughts on our Marvin picks. All the links you'll need are at btlpodcast.com along with all of our past episodes, links and show notes. Thanks again to Audible for sponsoring this episode. Don't forget to pick up your free audiobook and start your 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com/leopard. And we'd be very much uh, appreciative of a review on Apple Podcasts, a star in overcast or any other way that you can share some love and spread the word. We'll be back again next Thursday. So until then, share and enjoy. I'm John Bounds, and it gives me a headache just trying to think down to your level. And I'm Danny. And I'm Danny. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck right off, both of you.